message, uh, but moms, hopefully you'll get something out of it. Um, uh, we're, we're in the story, but uh, let, let's pray. And I just also want to pray a blessing over, over the moms here. God, thank you for this day that we can come together and, Lord, uh, ultimately celebrate you and bless you and lift you up. Lord, thank you for the gift that you have given us in moms. Lord Jesus, I think about even your own earthly mother, what Mary had to endure as, Lord, she raised you, and uh, the mystery behind it, and she held things in her heart, and uh, all the prophecies about you, and then ultimately watching you get betrayed, watching you be scourged and crucified, and, and what the heaviness of her own heart, and Lord, there's such a statement that, you, that, that, Lord, you were making even in how you came to become one of us, that you were born of a woman here on the earth, and even on the cross, concerned about your mother. Lord, that just so speaks, I think, so much to the importance and the value that you place on moms. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over the mothers that are in this room. God, I pray that you would just bless them and be with them, give them your peace. Lord, for the ones that may be even here today that think about all the things they wish they wouldn't have done, they wish they would have done, Lord, some of the shame that comes with being a mom sometimes. And, and Lord, they, they, I know that sometimes they, they, they are their own worst critics, and I just got it. I pray that that would just wash off of them today. Lord, that you would bless them, that you would touch them, you would minister to them. And Lord, for the ones that also maybe lost their mothers or had a bad relationship with their moms, and Sometimes to this, this day is very hard. God, that you would heal, that you would restore, that you would minister with the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, again, thank you for all of our moms. Thank you for this day, Lord. I pray once again that your word would speak to us, that you would Lord, enlighten us, that the Holy Spirit would come and bow and just make the word come out to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today. Are you glad to be here? I think, it's, I think spring is only here, we're creeping up on it, the, the weather kind of gets nice, and then you wake up and it's like 30, and you know, so it's, uh, no, there's no children's church there. No, children's church and King of Hunts are with us, so we love you guys, and they're already quiet, you guys are amazing. But uh, we continue today in the story. Last week we, uh, we looked at the life, the conversion, the ministry, the message of Paul, uh, we kind of did this kind of jet tour through some of the letters that he wrote, the message that he was trying to convey. We worked our way through the Old Testament, the coming of Christ, uh, the, the promised Messiah, the King of the Ages, and uh, and then how he uh, promised the Holy Spirit. He left the Holy Spirit with the with, with the apostles. We saw the birth of the church, and then ultimately we see Paul, the Pharisee, this killer of Christians. It was amazing. This killer of Christians, this guy that hated and despised Christians become probably one of the greatest Christians ever known. He wrote half of the New Testament, and, uh, and he, how he was changed, he was transformed. We looked at his central teachings last week as he was writing to these churches. But because the Word of God, again, is not confined by time or space, we know that he is writing these letters to us. We are the church, and the things that he was trying to, to speak under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, ultimately the Lord is speaking to us through those writings. And, uh, and, 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 and there was what the churches were dealing with, what people were dealing with. We saw personal things that he challenged and encouraged. We saw uh, things that were overarching as far as the, what the church was going to, the mission of the church. And here, again, was his, his central foundational message. He, he talked about the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus. That it's all about Jesus. You see Paul saying that. His life, his redemption, his rescue. And Paul is, what, what Paul is saying is, you know, and even in this thing we're calling the story, he said Jesus, Jesus was God's idea from the very beginning. He was the story of redemption. When they blew it, when Adam and Eve blew it in the garden and sin came upon mankind, that Jesus was going to come and he was going to be the answer of that sin and come and give his life for us. And then it was about loving God, surrendering and living for Jesus in his way forsaking sin, repenting of sin, loving and serving others. And Paul really, as you see his writing, he was saying, living all of this out of love for Jesus, not dutiful obligation, not because I'm supposed to, but he says, understand that it's about loving God. 
That's why he said, what we do and why I do what I do and why I endure the hardships that I endure. He said, I do it because the love of Christ compels me to do it. He said, because I'm so in love, I have found the treasure who is in, who is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the treasure. And because I have found him, his love compels me to do what I do. And, and so most of his letters, he is speaking to us as believers and he's saying, don't do things out of dutiful obligation, but do it out because you love him and he loves you. That's why he wrote to the Ephesians and he said, I want you to know how high, wide, deep, and long the love of Christ is. And then out of that place, he does call us to righteousness. And he reiterates Jesus' core message of that there is this place of repentance and to forsake sin and to live a holy life, but out of relationship with Christ. And so this is how he made it through the hardships, because there were many. It says that he was beaten, that he was persecuted, he suffered. He went to prison several times. And it was kind of like that, that was the part of the deal as being a follower. Remember what Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you'll take up the cross daily and follow me. And sometimes people endure other things that other people may not endure, but there are, there are many levels to suffering. It's hard for us to relate to, um, even in the news right now, what's going on you know, with all those girls that have been kidnapped from their home. I think it's Nigeria. And, and, and a lot of them, is it Nigeria? Yeah, uh, thank you. I didn't want anybody to um, But Nigeria, they kidnapped these girls, and most of them, because they were in Christian homes, and they're trying to indoctrinate them and trying to pull them out of Christian homes. And so there, we, we can't understand that unless we've endured something like that. And I'm not saying to diminish the level of suffering that we might walk through, but Jesus said, in this life, if you want to be my follower, there'll be a level of taking up your cross and following me. And we do it because the way we endure it is because of, again, love. And it was a part of it. So today we pick up the story, and uh, it's looking at the end of Paul's life. This, the story chapter is called Paul's Final Message. And how he ended his earthly race, and what that speaks to us. And I call this enduring to the end. So what was his message at the end of his life? When he, and we're going to dive into that in a moment, but he knew that his time was coming to an end, and he spends most of the time speaking about what's really important, how we should live, and how we should strive to finish the race. So he, he, he did know, and you'll see in his writings, that he knew that the end of his life was coming. And so Paul having this knowledge and and uh, in a moment, again, I'm going to look at a passage that we looked at last week, but he knew what was ahead of him. He was going to Jerusalem. He knew that suffering and prison was lying ahead of him. And when he was in prison, he knew that his days were numbered. And I think it's very important today as we look at that, is the message that he was conveying. And then I asked us, what if you knew? You knew that you had two weeks to live. Have you ever thought about that? Like if you knew the date that you were going to die. And you let's just say that all of us, you know that you have two weeks to live. How would you live? What would be important to you as you kind of process that in your mind? And if you're like me, I kind of have an active imagination and I kind of think about those things at times, and as I was preparing this, I, I even prepared in my own heart of, of just the things that I would, the things that would be important to me. If you knew, I have two weeks, and you know, in, 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 in culture we hear this thing called a bucket list, and the things that we would like to do before we, we die. You know what, I think if we have two weeks to live, there would be certain things on that bucket list, and I'm just talking about like adventurous stuff, like climbing Mount Everest or whatever that might be. You know, I, I don't necessarily know that those would rise to the top. I think other things would be very important, especially as believers, especially as those who belong to Christ. But what would you say to those around you? What would be your message to them? And so the big question today is this, as we ponder this and we look at Paul's the end of his days and enduring to the end. 
How do you want to end your earthly race? What legacy do you want to leave? Because here's the thing. The end is a reality. Unless Christ returns, we're going to die. And we're going to cross from this life into the next. That is a reality. And we talk about two weeks, none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. And that's not to strike fear into our hearts, but it's a sobering reality that there is a finish line to this life for all of us. Even if Christ returns, there's a finish line. We all leave a legacy for good or for bad. And so Paul deals with leaving an eternal legacy that points to Jesus. You know what we would not talk about or we wouldn't focus on if we had two weeks to live? We would not look around and say, I wish I would have maybe worked more. I wish I would have made more money. Unless maybe your family's suffering and you're like, well, I kind of feel bad that I didn't make more money. But, and, and, but that's, I don't think that would be a priority. You wouldn't even be thinking about your earthly accomplishments. As believers, I think that our thoughts and our actions and our words would boil down to two things. Our relationship to Jesus and our relationship to others. Because isn't it interesting that Jesus boils the commandments when, you know, his disciples are saying, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, he said, all the law and the prophets can be summed up in this love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love others like you love yourself. And that would be the two focuses, I think, if we had and we knew when we were coming to the end of the, uh, of the race. It would be our relationship to Jesus, am I right with him? Am I right with others? And so we're going to look at Paul's life, his final days. I'm going to pull up my... And so here's his life purpose message. This is the one that I looked at last week. Again, he is going and he is compelled by the Spirit to go. But listen to this. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. There's a level of mystery. I don't, I'm not sure what's going to happen yet. I said, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit would warn him, and not necessarily to say, don't go there. He just said, I'm, I'm warning you, I'm preparing you, I'm getting you ready for what's ahead. Because he said, prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's glory. My only aim is to finish. And what he's saying is, I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. And so this, this statement he makes, is, is, it's missional. It's a reality that things will be difficult, but Jesus is worth it. That's what he's saying. And what he had said before is, the love of Jesus compels me to, and, 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 and makes me do what I do. If people could understand how much God loves them and how much Jesus loves them and the price that was paid for them, they would give everything with joy. And then the difficulties wouldn't, they wouldn't compare to the eternal glory that we have in Jesus in this missional statement. And I love that. He said, I'm compelled. And here's what I want to do. I want to finish well, and I want to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. There was a kind of a single eye. In other words, I'm not going to get distracted. You'll see what he even says in his final message, that I don't want to get distracted of these peripheral things that really don't matter. And so we find this final message at the end of his life in the book of 2 Timothy. The books of 1 and 2 Timothy are letters that he wrote to this young pastor named Timothy. It was a young man that he mentored. He raised up and 
sent him to one of the, the to churches that he planted in Ephesus, and this, this young man becomes a pastor. And so we have we we get to step in, and again, all Scripture is divine; it is God breathed, and 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 so we get to step in at this place in in in, in history, and we get to look at this mentoring letter. And ultimately, it's not just a letter from Paul to Timothy, it's the Holy Spirit is writing to us as well. And so we get to look in on this mentoring session of what Paul was trying to say of, of, of young Timothy, I've got some things to say to you. Because at this point when he writes his letter to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is right before he is to be, is to be killed. He's in prison, and these are the last words recorded of Paul. Most theologians agree that shortly after he wrote these words, he was executed. And so he knew this, and he gives Timothy, this young pastor, who he loved like a son. I mean, one time he says, my son, Timothy. And it's this message that he gives to him. And like I said, because the Word of God is alive, and it's powerful, and it's God-breathed, it is, it is to us as well. So let's let this Father of the faith speak into our hearts. What did He want us to hear? And so we're going to track along, and again, I'm not going to go through the entire book of 2 Timothy, but we're going to hit highlight points, but you will see encouragement. Because Paul was, he was encouraging him, but you will also see challenge. And I think that we all need to open our hearts, and you, you will see that Jesus, how he dealt with his disciples. Jesus, when he wrote those letters to the, the, the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, there were things he said, here's what you have going for you, but here's what I have against you. Don't be offended when God challenges your heart. We all need to be challenged because he, he gives them encouragement. He'll challenge you. He'll also give warnings. And you need to be very careful. You need to pay attention to this. Take them to heart. In other words, what he's saying is this. I'm about to die, and the message I'm about to give you is to prepare you for what is ahead. And that big word, prepare, that's something that the Lord has been really even speaking in my own heart of preparing for what's ahead, preparing for the days ahead. Of how, what kind of life do I want to live as I move forward to prepare for whatever it is that is ahead? Whether it's peace, whether it's persecution, whatever is ahead, I want to be prepared and ready. And so we'll see this Paul's final message from Second Timothy. We're going to look at six messages that Paul leaves to Timothy and us before his death. Six messages that he was trying to convey. And as you can almost see him speaking to this young man and, and ultimately the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Here's the first message. Live for someone greater than yourself. Live for someone greater than yourself. Second Timothy 1, 7 through 12 says this. And here's what here's this word. He says, For the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. In other words, we are saved not by the good things that we've done. And He reiterates this message over and over. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know in whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted him until that day. This confidence, sitting in a prison, knowing that he's about to die, and you see this confidence. The secret of Paul's strength was that he was anchored to something, more specifically, someone greater than himself. Have you ever heard that saying, live for something greater than yourself? You ever heard that? that you know, when, when people want to challenge me, you know, they say, you know, to really live a fulfilled life, live for something greater than yourself. And I would actually say that's technically true, 
But true life is found in living for someone greater than yourself because true abundant life is found in the life whose name is Jesus. Live for someone greater than yourself. Live for Jesus Christ. Give your life to Him. And that's what Paul, that's why he had confidence in what he was saying. Is, is I'm not in shame. I'm in prison. But it's not the end of the hope for me. I'm not just laying in this prison feeling sorry for myself. Because I'm living for someone greater than myself. Jesus, who is true life. Paul knew that in Christ he had purpose and he was loved. That's why he could sit in prison and instead of saying, you know, almost like wailing of, of Jesus, why don't you get me out of this? He said, I am completely loved as much as I'm completely loved in this prison cell as much as I'm loved preaching to the masses. I'm loved whether I'm beaten or leading someone to Christ. I'm loved whether I have much or I have nothing at all. That's Philippians 4, contentment. It's because I know that I'm loved and I have purpose in Jesus. And that's why he could endure it. The suffering that he went through is because, and that's why he called it light and momentary. It's because he had his eyes on Jesus. I'm living for someone greater than myself. And he completely entrusted his life into the hands of God. So that first message, live for someone greater than yourself. Knowing that I'm about to die, that's one of the messages. Live for someone greater than yourself. The second one is this. Live to honor and bring glory to Jesus. Live His ways and not your own. Live to honor and bring glory to Jesus. Live His ways and not your own. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 2, 3-5. He says, He's a joint with me in suffering, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he uses some analogies here, I think, that are kind of interesting. It says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victory crown except by competing according to the rules. So what does he say? So he's using these analogies as a soldier and an athlete. He's saying, we have a mission. There is a mission at hand. That's what he said in Acts 20. I want to accomplish what Jesus has called me to accomplish. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to finish the race and accomplish the task in which he's created me to accomplish. We have a mission. And he says, don't get caught up in those earthly things that don't matter. He said, a soldier understands when he's out on the battlefield that he's got a, there's a mission at hand. And the worst thing that can happen to a company of soldiers is they get distracted of things that don't matter. And maybe there's infighting and there's bickering and there's different things. And, and then the commanding officer is saying, we have a mission at hand. Don't get caught up in civilian affairs, the things that don't matter. There's a mission. Keep your, that's when, when, when Colossians, uh, Paul writes, he says, keep your heart and your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Don't get caught up in the, the things of the world, how the world does it. But know that there's a mission at hand. Watch out for distractions. And then he even says that, he said they try to please his commanding officer, and that's what he said, keep your eyes on who the commanding officer is, that is Jesus. He always wants to Jesus. And then he uses this analogy as an athlete. He says, you don't receive a prize unless you compete according to the rules. What is he saying there? He's saying, yes, there is love. Yes, there is grace. Don't ever forget that. But don't use love and grace as an excuse to say that there are now, now no standards. That's what he said to the Corinthians. He said, you know, grace is huge, but he said, some of you would say, well, should we sin more so that grace can abound more? And he said, absolutely not. There are still standards to live by. Do it out of love, but do what Christ is asking you to do. Forsake sin, repent of sin, and follow Jesus. And then he gives us kind of a how to do this. Second Timothy 2, 14 through 16, he said, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. That's what he's saying. Is don't get caught up in the civilian affairs and those things that don't matter. And so he's telling us, keep, keep reminding God's people because warn them. And so there's a warning to us. Take this warning to heart. Don't lose 
sight of the warning. Stop quarreling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Here's the Awana passage. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. But listen to what he continues to say. Avoid godless chatter. It's a warning. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So how do we deal with that? And that's why you will see Paul over and over again. That's why you need to be grounded in the Word of God. You need to understand that there is a mission. You need to be grounded in the Word. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus to keep you from this chatter. That's what he says, this godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it, they get swept away and they get their eyes off the mission. They get their eyes off of Jesus. And then other things that are really not important become very important to them. And that's why we need to come back. Every day we need to come back to the place where that we love God and we love people. That it's about the mission. It's about finishing well. What does Paul say further? Second Timothy. Eight nine, you will hear him talk about the Word of God and guarding your heart and having sound doctrine. He says this in the, the first letter to Timothy. He says, guard your life and your doctrine. In other words, don't let that contradict. Don't don't be saying one thing that you have great doctrine and then you're living a different life. Yes, have sound doctrine, but make sure your life also speaks the message. Word and deed. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 2, 8, 9. So remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. You hear what he keeps doing? Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Don't forget that. Descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But then look what he says. doesn't matter if I'm chained like a criminal, because why? God's word's not chained. God's word will go forth. God's Word will not die. That's why we need the Word of God so desperately. There's another passage that says that God's Word will go forth and accomplish what it is supposed to accomplish. Message 3. He tells Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. Lustful desires and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And here's one of those those words, those encouragements, and, and those, those kind of a, a strong, a coaching thing of saying, make sure you clean the evil desires of you to pursue righteousness, love, faith, love, and peace. But this is what he says, Second Timothy. Clean the evil desires of you to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. So what is he saying again? He's reminding them of it. Don't get caught up in that. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Here again, he said, there is a mission people People's lives are at stake. Their eternity is at stake here. That is why the church exists. That's why the gospel exists. Is there are lost people that need Jesus Christ. And eternity is on the line here. It's a sobering reality. And so he's saying, pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love and peace. Run after those things. Pursue them with all your heart. And here's what he, I, I just love his, his, the realness of, and, and, of what he said. Avoid stupid stuff. That's what he's saying. Avoid it. Avoid quarrels. Avoid these things that distract you. Foolish and stupid arguments. Quarreling. See, God's servant must not be quarrelsome. But he said, let people see your faith, your love, and your peace. Be kind to who? How many people? Everyone. 
In other words, he's saying, stop being mean and resentful. And what, it ha- what, what ultimately is when we're pursuing that, it gives us the opportunity to teach. Because that's what he says at the end of this, is teach and gently instruct those who uh, oppose the truth. If we are quarrelsome, if we're mean, if we're always focusing on stuff that doesn't matter, guess what? The world could care less what our message is. But when we respond in a different spirit, and we come in the spirit of Christ, then we have the opportunity to gently instruct them and that, that God might grant them repentance because that's ultimately Paul was seeing why. He said, these people, they're really, if they don't know Christ and they die, they are going to spend an eternity without Him in, 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 in judgment and hell. It's real. And so our lives must be spent in such a way that we're, what we're pursuing, what we're focusing on gives us the ability to bring them to repentance. How many times have we argued and quarreled with people thinking that I can debate them into the kingdom? I've tried it. doesn't work. How many times are we mean and resentful? Even in our own midst where the warning that Jesus warns and Paul warns about how we treat one another. Because our unity, Jesus says our unity will, would, would reveal to the world that He was sent. And so then how do we treat it? What do we say about each other? How do we speak about each other? Guard the words that come out of your mouth. Again, what Paul says to Timothy in the first place is guard your life and your doctrine. Did you know that our attitude can prevent someone from coming to Christ? Our negative attitude can prevent people from coming to know Jesus. So he's saying it's more than what we say and what we know. It's how we live our lives. Message four. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. And he brings us continually back to the gospel in love. 17 through 18 through 17. But so, just to give you a little setup, Paul just talks about those who are doing their own thing. He said that they're, they're living their own way. He said these people are, 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 are basically lord of their own lives, they're rejecting Christ. And then it gets hard places of this world seeing better and more appealing, and there's all kinds of excuses not to live for Jesus. And he said there are people that are living like that. There are people that are going, going to live like that. And then he takes it up and says, You, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kind of things happen to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? You hear that? It's all happening, isn't it? There's days where you know, he said, my life, my purpose, there's days, isn't there days that, 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 you, that you feel like you have purpose and you feel like you have life, you have, feel like you have patience and love, and then there's those, days, those other days? That you feel like that you have very little love, you have very little patience, you have very little in you. And, and Paul is saying that it's all a part of life. He said, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience and love. And he said, you know, that's why we do what we do. And then there's endurance. And that's not such a wonderful word, but he said, persecution, sufferings. And he even did. He said, you saw what happened to me in these cities, the persecutions that I suffered, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Amen. God bless you. Have a nice day. That last sentence. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, there are levels of persecution. Obviously, we don't understand why some Christians in third world countries and they're being arrested and they're being rounded up. Christians in North Korea are going through all kinds of unimaginable things. Everyone who wants to live a godly life and follow Jesus, there is a level of persecution that you'll have to endure. He says this while evildoers and apostles will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise 
What is it? Again, the, the Word of God. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's that famous passage. Is all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But ask for you. Remember. That's what he's saying. Remember what you learned. If it becomes dutiful obligation, go back. Remember what you learned. It's out of love. Do this out of love. What you remember from the Word of God, that Jesus is real. He is authentic. He really did die for you. He really does love you. Salvation is found in Him alone. He really has the best intentions for your life in spite of your circumstances. He is greater than persecutions and sufferings. Remember that. They are a reality. But He is greater. Life with Him is greater. Eternity with Him is greater. Message 5. Live by the Word. Be ready at all times. Be patient. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Share the Gospel with your words and your actions. This next message that we give Timothy and us. Listen to what he says, second to the people. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And there is a warning and a sober reality. He will judge us. You will stand before Him and you will be judged. Every human being on planet Earth will receive a just judgment. That is a reality. And he said, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, and listen to this, this is one of those warnings. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. So what is he saying? Be a good steward of your life. Know what the Word of God says. He says, be ready at all times. Instincts and attitudes. And be ready. Your life is an adventure with Jesus. Be ready. There might be times where you, you just get to see it coming and you get blindsided by a divine appointment from God. Be ready for that. Be invited. That's where we have to be loving Him and receiving His love and knowing His Word. And in Jesus, there's no day is ordinary. And there's some times where we, out of love, we get to maybe correct or rebuke or encourage and we do it gently, as we heard earlier. And then this is the warning. He said, there's a time coming, and I believe that we are seeing it. Here's the warning because I think we're seeing it also in this church. It's easy to look out there. But what he's saying is, he's talking to Timothy who is pastoring Christian people. He's pastoring the church. And he said, here's the warning. There are going to be people that are going to forsake truth. So it's people that know the truth. He's talking about believers. And he said, they're going to not put up with sound doctrine. But instead, to suit their desires, they're going to gather around teachers what and, and, and say, I, I, only want, I only want you to tell me what I want to hear. Scratching my itching ears, and it's just turning from the truth. And so how do we guard against this? How do we heed this warning? The Word of God. Sound doctrine is found in the Word. If it opposes the Word, throw it out. We can read all the greatest books in the world, but if it doesn't align with Scripture, throw it out. If experience comes Scripture, throw it out. That's how we know the truth. That's why we're told by Paul in Thessalonians, and we're told by John in 1 John 3, that we're to test things. You even said, I'm supposed to test what I preach. You know, if we just swallow everything that people tell us without knowing the Word and knowing Christ and what His Word says, I mean, we're, we're open to all kinds of deceptions and delusions. I don't hear, care how great a preacher is, how big his audience is, and what kind of TV show he has. 
You need to test what he says by the word of God. You need to test what I say by the word of God. Because I'm just a man, and that's the problem, is, is that we somehow sometimes we follow men, and we're supposed to follow them to a certain level, I understand that, but we follow them to the point where we want them just to go before God with us, we want them to study the scripture, we want them just to give us the self, and then we don't want to do it. You all have a responsibility to seek the word, seek Jesus, read his word because he's speaking to us, and that's how we know that we can be we prevent ourselves from getting off of sound doctrine to know the Word of God. Books, preachers, teaching, philosophies of man, it's rampant. And Paul is warning, he said, there, there's coming a time where people will, they will, they will push sound doctrine right out the door. And yet, you know, we've had discussions sometimes with people and, and you hear what they're saying and and, and, I'm, and it's like, well, I'm afraid you don't know the Word of God. And then what we do is if we don't know the Word of God, we, we make up and we start twisting Scripture to do us. The Word of God should dictate us and not us dictate it. If it's God-breathed, you need to be very careful how we handle it. And that's why he says, keep your head in all situations. This is how we do that. And we also endure hearts of walking in relationship with Christ, remembering the cross, remembering His love for us. Because here's again, some people have sound doctrine, but they have forgotten love. And they can have all the right things to say, they can memorize all kinds of Scripture, they can quote Scripture, they can slice and dice you with Scripture, and they have no love in their hearts. This is what happened to the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They knew the law, they knew the prophets, they had memorized great things, and Jesus was standing in front of them and he said, no, he can't do this all. He said, yes, we have sound doctrine, but also love. We should have the Word and the Spirit co-equal, together. Because the Holy Spirit testifies of the Word. So that was his fifth message before he died. And then the sixth one is this, which is the final one. Jesus calling on the cell phone earlier. Message to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. That's going to be four, six, or eight. Here's what Paul says, and this is where it's really getting very real. This is where he's sober. This is, he, he, he understands. This is like the, some of the last final words that he writes. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. It was a sober reality. In other words, he looked out there, and I'm thinking that he knew within days or maybe a week or so, I'm going to be gone. The time of my departure is near. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is installed in me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. So he knew a time was short and he was getting ready to die. And as said of himself here again, he would say to all of us, keep fighting the fight. And even now he used the word, keep fighting, it's going to be a battle. You need to know walking with Christ, as he said before, anyone who walks with Christ is going to suffer some level of persecution. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a fight. Ephesians 6, armor of God, it's going to be a fight. You need to know, but you need to fight the right way. The fight is not against the world. The fight is for our hearts. It will be a battle. And so he says, remember the battle is not against people. Don't give up. That's what he's saying. I've kept the faith. Don't give up. If I can encourage you today, do not give up in your walk with Jesus. Don't lose heart. Keep getting up when you have fallen. Yes, there, we, we, there, it's unaware of what is ahead. That's why he said, I go to Jerusalem and I'm not sure what lies ahead. I'm not sure what is out there. And we, again, we can look at the news and we can look at all the things that are happening in the world. And I tell you, things are not tending to get better in the world. Of course, Jesus in Matthew 24 told us that was going to happen. 
these blessings that are going, that things are going to continue on this path. But we as believers, we have to respond in hope. We don't know what's out there. We don't know what is ahead. But don't lose heart. Do not give up. Keep getting up. Finish the race that is in front of you. Keep your faith. Hebrews 12, the says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Live for Him. Surrender to Him every day. Love Him. Realize you need Him every day. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live for Him every day. Don't quit the race. Don't give up. Keep running with your eyes and your heart fixed on Him. And in this race, you're going to have to forgive others. Let go of grudges. Reconcile with Jesus and other people. And why is this? It's because one day it will be worth it. In Paul's final days, he, he didn't respond in fear, knowing that he was getting ready to be executed. Going to his death, he was, was stepping with hope. And I can imagine, and I again, I have an active imagination, but as they bound him and they were leading him out to have his head removed, can you imagine him thinking, I'm within three minutes of seeing Jesus. I'm within minutes of beholding this glory. The life that I've lived for him is all worth it. That I will see him face to face, I will feel his embrace, and it will all be worth it. The worst things of life will hold no comparison to the eternal promises that I have in Him. Our sufferings, our hardships, our pains will be light and momentary at one glimpse of His face. And He knew this reality. I imagine there may have been even where we're guards. And I, 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 again, I, I think maybe that He was thinking, I can't wait. I can't wait. These guys are going, you're crazy. We have no idea what is going to happen to me. That's why he gave his life to it. Living for Jesus is the greatest thing. It was the greatest thing in his life. It will be the greatest thing in your life. As to what, again, what is the response today? Have you surrendered your life to us completely and unconditionally? Have you approached Jesus with a set of lists and demands? Well, I'll serve you, but I want this and that. Or do you just fall in and say, I'm a sinner and I desperately need you. Forgive me and repent from your sins. Acknowledge that we are a sinner because we have all sinned and fallen short of His glory and say, God, I desperately need you and I have no hope without Christ. If you've not done that, today is the day of salvation. Are you far away from God? Have you forgotten where Paul continually talks to believers and says, some of you have forgotten. You get caught up in quarrels. You get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter. Have you done that? Are you a believer here that just kind of gotten cold and cynical and you look around and you kind of argue and grumble about the things that don't matter? He's saying, come out of that and remember love. Have there been things that have caused you to stop running the race? Have you made up your own doctrine, a doctrine that suits you, and you set up to yourself teachers that will just tell you what you want to hear? It's so Jim Paul's saying, you know what? Forsake it, repent of it, and come to Christ. Know the Word. And so these days before his death, he was saying ultimately to us through the Spirit of God, live for someone greater than yourself. His name is Jesus. Live for Him to bring glory and honor to Him. Live His way and not your own. Remember why you do what you do. Remember the gospel, receiving His love, giving that love away. Live by the Word of God. Be ready at all times. Be patient. Keep your head about you in all situations. Endure hardship because you know what? It's going to get hard at times. Endure it. Share the gospel with your words and your actions, and then fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. But here's the thing the reality is everyone in, a, in here, we're going to die, and we're going to see him face to face. Or he will come back, and we will still see him face to face. But that is the reality. How do you want to finish your race? 
How do you want to redeem your days? Again, not that we live in fear. We don't even live in fear of what's ahead. We live with the hope that we have in Christ Jesus today. We spread the gospel and we pray that people will come to know Him because lives are at stake. There are people's eternity right now that, that, that's at stake. And we as the church have a responsibility to be on the mission of Jesus and to finish well and stand. Lord, right now, I just ask God that you would help us. Holy Spirit, that you would help us. Give us strength. Give us power to live a godly life. Give us even power to live this way. Help us to remember that we're living this life following you out of love. That, Lord, what Adam and Eve lost, Lord, we all have lost. We, we, we've lost righteousness because our own righteousness is filthy lives. We've all sinned. We've fallen short. We all are ruined. But Jesus, you've come to give us life. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that we would finish the race strong. That we would accomplish that which you have called us to accomplish. That we would love you, that we would serve you, we would surrender our lives to you every day because, Lord, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it, oh God. Help us to remember that it's going to be worth it when we endure hardship, when we endure sufferings, when we endure persecutions, when we endure having a bad day. Lord, when family members get on our nerves, oh God, when somebody grates us the wrong way, when somebody offends us, oh God, that we would keep our eyes on you, that we would forgive, that we would let go of those things, God, and we would serve you and love you. That we would finish well. Because Jesus, you are worth it. Lord God, thank you again for this day. Again, Lord, I pray a blessing on all of our moms today that they would have a blessed day. But Lord, we would bless our mothers today. God, thank you for them. And Lord, again, we just, Lord, fix our and our eyes on the Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank <laughs> you.